Canuck Central in the Kid Tech Studio. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Uh, this text. 96 Vancouver for 17 Montreal. Of course we get some kind of a trade hypothesis. We always get trade proposals. I love the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Um, I get it. I understand why people uh, have an affinity for Josh Anderson with the Montreal Canadiens. I would not touch that contract with a 10-foot pole. No, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. He's got zero goals in 24, 25 games. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. Now, I'm not he's paying five and a half million for that. He's got one goal and oh, five points. Oh, he just points. scored? He finally scored. Yeah, he's got one goal and five points. Finally broke the drought, yeah. Josh Anderson did. And he, o- and he only has three more years left on his contract at five and a half million. Um, I Like, I get it. Power forward with some speed. The, the thing about power forward though like just because you have the size and speed doesn't make you a power forward you actually have to play that way mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and i don't feel like josh anderson does it often enough uh he did it when he needed to get paid although he was injured but people remembered that he could do it and essentially he got paid off of that it's uh it's a bit of an albatross of a contract wouldn't do it bit of a problem i i wouldn't touch it either yeah um, and Andre Kuzmenko, like, yeah, he's got to play a little bit better. But yeah, uh, well, he's got to be better. And I'm not sure they're going to trade him yet, though. No, I don't think they're uh, selling their shares in Andre Kuzmenko just yet. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. It is Irfan Gafar, Canucks Insider, joining us here on Canucks Central. What's happening? If they wanted a barely useful five million dollar forward. They would have just kept Beauvillier. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they go after Josh Anderson? I was just, you know, the the texter wanted to wanted to know. Uh, by the way, Anderson's yeah, goal was an empty netter. I don't think that's so. the contract that they're looking to take. But <laughs> no. You know what? I, they want less I, bad I, contracts, I not more. No, but I don't mind the, I don't mind the, the feel of that. Like, I think the power forward type is is maybe something that they'd be interested in. Um, I just it's I it's just not going to be him. But I yeah. think that that's maybe something where that route that is something that they might look at. Well, I mean, we talk so much about this, right? That, yes, yeah. the defense is what they're looking to improve. They got Zadorov, and we'll talk about the defense some more, of course. But if they can add another guy in the top six, like, think of a guy who's playing the PDG role. They like a big, like, they want a power type of winger, or if it's not necessarily a power winger, but a guy who can play in the corners, win some battles, score some goals. Like, that's its profile of forward I think they'd love to add. Yeah. And I think that the Ilya Mikheyev, I mean, I, I know he's, he's, he's been good, but I, we haven't seen the Ilya Mikheyev that, you know, that the guy that they paid all, all that money to, right? The guy that was on that Toronto, those Toronto Maple Leafs teams that was very, you know, that was tenacious on the puck, that would go get pucks for his forwards and, and things like that, that would, that would crash all the time. We just haven't seen that yet from Mikheyev. So I think that that's, you know, there's a lot of wonder of, okay, where is this one guy going to come from and who's the PDG role and, and, and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously with, with Zadorov coming in and, you know, playing here now I think the focus yes you do want to improve the defense but I think the focus a little bit you know kind of does shift towards that offensive group and you got to get someone in like you 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 really do have to I mean you're if you view yourself as a playoff team right now and you look at that bottom six forward group and the contributions you're getting you're not going to beat a lot of the teams right now in a in a, in a seven game series I'm just looking through Dan Milstein clients that might fit the bill for uh, top six forwards. Uh, doesn't I don't know. There's 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 not a ton. They missed the boat on uh, on Ivan Barbashev in this in the summer. That might have that might have been the one. Maybe uh, Kirill Marchenko or uh, Alex Alexander Barabanov uh, with the uh, with the San Jose Sharks. 
I don't think Marchenkov Mar- 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 want to leave, but I think he's, he scored tonight, so I think he's good. Yeah, he, he might be all right. <laughs> That's yeah. uh, we, we always look to the Dan Milstein clients, especially after uh, another <laughs> one became a, a Vancouver Canuck last week. It kind of is, um, you know, the, the, the chess pieces, the puzzle pieces that this team is constantly working with. And, you know, they moved out Bavillier and immediately replaced his cap hit or most of his yeah. cap hit with Nikita Zadorov And, like, that's ultimately how this front office has to operate. It's how most front offices around the league have to operate. But, you know, the only way they add to their forward group this year is if they find a way to open up some cap space again, as we've talked about so often here, Irv. Yeah, and I think the only way right now that they're going to open it with the players that they think are expendable is if you sweeten the deal. Yeah. Right. Because I think they're comfortable with some of the guys that they have, and they know who they want to keep, and they know who they have made available, or or who other people might have called and said, "Is this player available or, or not?" And the only way it's going to work is if the Canucks sweeten on their end. And mm-hmm. it, it's it's tough to make those moves, right? Because you know you you want to keep your draft picks, you want to keep things like that, and you're not in a position where you're able to take out take on money coming back the other way just to get rid of a bad contract. I think that they want to improve their hockey team. You don't want to handcuff yourself anymore. Yeah. And like, you know, I, the, the only one I could see that is movable is, and I'm not sure what the want is to do it because I think they're, they're still, they still know that they're pretty thin on defense, but it's, it's Tyler Myers. So like it's, it's living in the world where you get, uh, you sign Ethan bear, get him up to speed, feel comfortable with that. Everybody's healthy. And then maybe you could move Myers at the deadline and replace his cap hit with some kind of a forward. And that's like that. That's the easiest way to sort of start to think about how they could make that sort of a move. Yeah. I mean, they can't move him right now. They've got 63 feet of defensive blue line <laughs> yeah. between him and Zadorov. I so, feel like they like you know? Myers. Like Myers is winning people over right now in the final year okay. of this deal. What's more likely, Earth, that Myers gets traded or signs a two-year extension? <laughs> it's funny. The last time we did this, Bovillier got traded five minutes after I got off the air. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Um Oh, that's a tough one. Signs a two-year extension here. Yeah, it's two-year extension, but I mean, the number would have to be like two, two and a half. Like, I don't think Vancouver yeah. would do it for more than that. I think it would depend on where Tanev goes and what happens with Chris Tanev. Mm. Because if Chris Tanev gets moved and goes to the Leafs and they end up giving up what is quite a lot that the Calgary Flames want for Chris Tanev, then I think he might sign an extension there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you say, okay, is he is is do we do we what 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 happens with Tyler Myers here? But yeah, I think that there's a chance. I mean, there, there's definitely always a chance. You're right, Rich. He is winning people over, um, and it's because he doesn't have to play that role where he's dependent on. Yeah, right. So it happens to a lot of these players when they get really when they get older in their career. They were dependent on so early in their career, and the, and in, don't get me wrong. Like this is what made them all their money and what earned them their contracts. Mm-hmm. But when you get into the twilight of your career now. You're you once you realize you're a five six guy, or you know, and maybe if someone gets hurt, you move up the de- defensive depth chart. Then you start to play better. You're not dependent on you just go and play your role, and that's I think one of the things that Tyler Myers has, has has come to find now. Yeah, and and I think they like a lot of the things that he does. Yeah. you know, it's just at, at the price. That's what it comes down to ultimately. So we'll see what happens with him. Now, before we go fully into defense, just I want to finish something up on the forward group. And Sean and North fans sent us in a few times. He mentioned Sammy Blay as being a guy maybe the Canucks should go after. And here's where I think that is something that is interesting and something we discussed I think yesterday a little bit. If the Canucks can't go and find that top six forward, 
right? Like if they can't go and get the top six forward they want because they're hard to find and they're hard to get, it costs a lot. Like I do think they, they would still look to add a Sammy Blade type of player because then if you can add a bit more toughness, you have Lafferty, you have Joshua, you have JT, you can get a little bit quicker, get stronger on the forecheck. At least that plays into their identity a bit more. So even if they can't land the bigger fish or at least somebody who can play in your top six comfortably, I wouldn't be surprised they target that type of player. Yeah, I agree. I just think that for, for them, you... If your top six aren't going on any given night, it's going to be very hard for this team to win hockey games. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, I'll give the exception to that game in Seattle where the bottom six forward group basically led the charge, right? But if you're not getting contributions, if PD's having an off night, if JT Miller's not playing well, if Brock's not scoring, you know, and, 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 and Quinn is, is not doing Quinn Hughes things, if that bottom six forward group isn't able to, or at least that third line able to carry some sort of offensive load, or at least put the puck in the net once every few games, you're going to have some trouble beating a lot of hockey teams. Like the Canucks are playing really, really, really well right now, but it's because of that. Um, it's because of their top six group, right? They're going to get to a point in this season where you're going to have to rely on your bottom six forwards and they're going to, and they're going to need them. And you're going to, once you get to the playoffs, you're going to need those guys to contribute night in and night out. I mean, I said this before I said it again, like, I mean, Vegas is obviously a different animal, but William Carlson was a third line center last year, right? Yeah. Like that line, when they won the cup, that was, that was a very good line. And the Canucks need to find guys. I mean, obviously not a $5 million third line center. You probably don't want that, but um, just guys that are able to, to do that. And Sammy Blade, to your point, that does kind of, kind of fit that mold a little bit. Oh, even LA, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure they're not loving that. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois has uh, what is it? 11 points or whatever. Uh, and he's making eight and a, eight and a half sheets, but it's still like their team looks like a juggernaut, so you're not too worried about it. It's almost like a luxury right now while uh, while everybody else is still going well. But you know, there's just more depth across those those top teams in the Western Conference that the Canucks are are trying to build more towards. And I don't know I don't know how they do that with uh, you know the the Connor Garland contract and some other things. I, I I don't mind the way the bottom six is played necessarily. It's just there's still there's not enough scoring punch, right? They're they're 500 over their last 12 games, and it's you know it's no wonder that it coincides with Pedersen slowing down a little bit, the power play slowing down a little bit. If those things aren't going, like they're they're not going to be you know a, a 650 points percentage type team that they have been to this point in the season. No, and I agree, and I I think the power play is a big thing. Like I think if. I don't know if the Canucks are a team that, okay, there's a few teams above them in the standings, but I don't think that they scare any of them, to be completely honest. Like, I think that when, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights came here and they did what they did to the Canucks, the Canucks weren't good. Vegas was very good. And the Canucks didn't like to be bullied. And I I think that that's one of the things. Now, I know maybe soft isn't the word, but, you know, they don't like being played against very physical. And if you look at the games that they've lost against good teams, you know, they've been outworked. Um, Elias Pedersen's been taken out of the game completely because he's been hit. Players have been physical against him. And that's kind of the book on this Canucks team right now is if you play really, really, really tough against them and lean on them, you're going to have, your, your team's going to have a lot of chances at success. You, you know, however, you got to be smart about it. If you go on the power play, you could get killed. And that's obviously credit to the Vancouver Canucks because their power play was lethal. But it's one of those things where teams are looking at this team thing. Okay. If we lean on them, be a little bit more physical, our chances are a little bit higher to, to maybe go home with the win. 
on any given night. Well, because they haven't done anything when games matter yeah. in a few years. I mean, the last time they did anything was 20, uh, 2020 in the bubble. And, you know, some people feel like the bubble doesn't matter. Now, I think it matters, but a lot of people feel like, hey, like a lot of players checked out or whatever it is. But so remove that. And the past few years, all the Canucks have done is disappoint and until you take teams down late in the season until you have some success in the postseason when it when it's for real coming up this year then that i, I think is what's going to change the discussion yeah. and how teams are going to feel about them they, they haven't proven anything really yet outside of outside of getting off to a good start yeah but i, I even i furthering that side i i just think it's this season alone even if we remove everything i think at this season alone even though they've played this well i still think there's teams there and say well what have you really done like this season Right, and you, you, then you just go back and look at that game against Vegas. You go back and and you look at the, the, the game. There's a game against the Calgary Flames where they, you know, were leaned on pretty heavy, and they didn't like it, and then they lost. They ended up losing that game, right? And what it was it, twelve shots through two periods or whatever it was? Um, yep. And that's the type of game where a lot of the teams are going to look at the Vancouver Canucks team and say, if we can play like that, mm-hmm. then you know it's going to give us a chance. I mean, you go on the power play, like I said, you're going to get yourself killed. But um, I think that that's an area that the Canucks want to address. So does how much of that does Sidorov help? It's been a game in a bit. Like I, I, yeah. I think it's okay, uh, right? I think it, it. I mean, you add another almost seven foot defenseman, <laughs> you a little bit of people. But I mean, is Sidorov going to be a guy that plays twenty five minutes a night, thirty minutes a night? Like he's not playing in front of Ronick. He's not playing in front of Hughes. He's not going to be on the ice to be that you know big guy. I mean, maybe a shutdown pairing a little bit, but it, it still is only one player. Like, I think intimidation comes from being able to roll all four of your lines and go up against any team and say, we can match all four of our lines against any one of your four lines. And I don't think the Canucks can do that right now. And I think that's why, you know, a guy like Ethan Bear still is a player they want to add. And not necessarily just for the toughness side of it, but just to be able to have a bit more depth as well. Because, listen, this team isn't going to all of a sudden turn out to be a a team that's going to run everybody else through the building. Like, if if you want to become that team, it's more than one or two players, right? Like, that's that's something that's going to change. Like, they do have to, you know, embrace who they are to some extent. And having depth, honestly, is one of the most, uh, one of the best things you can have as a team. If you can get through this season and you can add Ethan Bear to the fold as well, and now you have Zadorov, and then Susie starts getting healthy. Guys are going to get hurt. But now, all of a sudden, the defense is as deep as any team. Maybe not as good as any team in terms of higher end. But it's going to be hard to find a lot of teams that have you know guys like Myers, Susie, uh, Zadorov, and Ethan Bear kind of fighting for that you know, five, six, seven spot on a roster, right? Yeah. And I think that's I, I, why you know they would love to add Ethan, Ethan Bear still if they could. Yeah, I think if you're in any way you can add an NHL defenseman and you're the guy's still fighting to get into the lineup every single night. It's a good thing, right? It's not like you're a guy that's a bubble AHL guy that, you know, is the seventh defenseman and he's up here. And just in case someone gets hurt, if you can add a legitimate guy that every single night you're able to put him in, I, I think, I think that's one of the better things for the Canucks to have, hopefully if, if it does happen for them. But again, just going back to the four group, um, I definitely do think that there definitely needs to be some improvement there for sure. So like when, like when they're going, my point, yeah. like when they're going, it's they can play against the best of them with that like the top two lines but if they're not that's what scares me about this team yeah well they've they've got to defend really well and and play yeah. pretty much mistake free hockey like like that Dallas game right like that's that's yeah. the picasso so far of Rick Tockett's Vancouver Canucks and you know it's it's hard to match that sort of effort and it's hard to have games where you make as few mistakes as they did in that one against Dallas well i think it's just it's it's with every team. It's just very hard to have that level of consistency through eighty two games. Yeah. 
right? The Canucks were blowing out teams early, and it was great. It was fun to watch. <laughs> and then now, now as now as you know, the days get shorter. You know, as we're yeah. into December and into January, and into you know some games where it's a cold night in the middle of January, and you're really it's going to be one of those tough games where maybe your superstar don't want to get up for it. Well, who else is? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So on Elias Patterson, the the story from earlier this week from uh, from Elliot Friedman that Patrick Alvin met with. Elias Pettersson and said, uh, you know, when just to just want to reiterate when, when you're ready to talk contract, we're, we're ready to, to bear down and, and get this thing done. It kind of feels like a, it, not to like, not disputing Elliot's report or anything like that, but it, it does sort of feel like a non update update on, on the situation. It, it feels like it hasn't really changed much. I know, you know, when we spoke with you about Pedersen a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned this is probably not happening until the new year, maybe around All-Star break, something to that effect. Is is there anything here? I, I'm almost wondering, like, what side does it benefit having this, this story come out, sort of the conversation? Well, I don't think the Canucks were happy that it came out, <laughs> that, right. that they met. That's one. Well, they do try to keep um, everything on, uh, on lockdown. They do, all, 100%. They try and keep everything tight. And two, look, I... Like I said before, a couple of weeks ago, I'm, unless something changes here over the next little while, I think it's going to be we're going to go into the new year here. Um, and yeah, I mean the Canucks for sure. If if they're 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 probably willing to talk if their best player wants to you know sign a contract or or is ready to even discuss what the parameters of a deal may look like. Um, but is Elias Pettersson ready? Is his camp ready? Right? I mean the Canucks can say all the things if we're we're ready to talk whenever he is and put the onus on him. And this is. Is this one of those things where the Pete Pedersen camp's going to go, ah, oh, I don't know, maybe this shouldn't have got out. Like, maybe we'll give it another couple weeks here. Like, right. is it one of those things? Is it, yeah, you know what I mean? And we'll see. But, I mean, Pedersen's going to need to play a little bit better here. Um, but I don't think he's not going to make his money. I, I obviously do think that. But I think the longer it goes, the more interesting it gets. That, and, and that's for sure. But, like I said, nothing. Probably for me, you won't probably hear anything about this until the new year. Yeah, I mean... It- it really does seem like it, it just it, it all it all comes down to Pedersen, you know, like yeah, when is he I ready? Agree. That's really, I think that's everything you know we keep hearing. That's what what it kind of seems like. And I'm not saying because you're right. The team's been very quiet. They don't want to say anything one way or another. They don't want anything to get out. But I think they've made it very clear to Pedersen's camp based on what we've heard that yeah they're willing to not necessarily do what it takes, but they want to get this done. Yeah, I, look, I, I don't I don't know for sure or anything like that and saying that there's a number in front of Elias Pedersen that says okay or it's a blank check or whatever it is saying when you're ready to talk we're going to sign this I think it's when when you're ready to talk we're ready to have a discussion and we can probably get there but let's talk and I think that that's kind of where it's at right now yeah it, it, it as we hear with a lot of contract negotiations you know sometimes the player just says all right says to his agent like all right I'm ready to get it done and then the agent goes and like okay yeah <laughs> then they start- it, hey look all it from what I've learned over the last little while, all it takes is one phone call. Yes. My favorite line. Like just I the one am, phone call. I am pretty sure Patrick Alvin called JT Miller on a golf course and they got that done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is what you want. Okay. Like it's, it's, yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's, it's not very difficult when two sides want to make something work to happen in the NHL. Yeah. It really isn't. Yeah. So the further the, the the longer it goes, you know, okay, well, the two sides really don't care or they don't want to make it work right now, just to make things difficult because it's not that hard. Yeah. Well, once once the 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 total money is figured out and the term, 
then it's just about figuring out, especially for star players like a, like an Elias Pettersson, really it comes down to how does the, the bonus structure play out and, and th- those sorts of things. Yeah, and I think those are massive, right? And, yeah. and obviously now with, with the news of the Board of Governors meetings here with the cap and what's it supposed to look like next year and what's it supposed to look like in, in a couple of years from now, you kind of set yourself up and say, okay, well, what are we going to have two years from now? And can we offer uh, something else or, 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 ma- or make this even better? Or how do we view it? And even for Elias Pedersen's group and say, okay, well, the cap is definitely going up for sure in the next little while. So how much more money can we get? Uh, how much of Tiger Woods' third last finish uh, at the Hero World Challenge did you watch this weekend? Ah, man, just, I mean, between you and you texting me about it and watching <laughs> it, I, I, had my eye on it. I had my eye on it quite a bit. Anytime Tiger's on the golf course is, yeah. is, is always fun, right? I don't it's really dripping in sweat. Like, you can tell it's still difficult oh, for him to walk. Yeah. I don't really think about golf this time of year because like, I'm like, to me, the tournaments don't even start until later. So when Dan was talking no, about this, I'm like, I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, so how did he, did he make the cut? And he's like, well, it wasn't really a golf tournament. I'm like, well, I'm like what was this? It was it like was this his exhibition. That his boys, yeah. It was his exhibition tournament that all his boys came to play in the Bahamas. Yeah, in, in the Bahamas, this beautiful, balmy place. Like, oh, he looks yeah. great. Like, I feel great. If, even yes. if I have, like, you know, the worst back pain, if you take me to a warm, Look, tropical place, we, it'll magically feel better. We just we needed something to wash away the stench of that uh, Seahawks loss on Thursday. Ah, okay. uh, see, your segue is as good as mine. I was going to be like, well, it's almost just... Tiger playing golf is watching him walk the golf course is almost as difficult as watching the Seahawks try and get a fourth down conversion. <laughs> so brutal. Terrible. Don't want to. Don't want to remember that one. Uh, all right. No. Uh, thanks for this, pal. As always. All right, gentlemen. Be well. Uh, there he is, Irfan Gafar, Canucks insider, joining us uh, as he does every Tuesday here on Canucks Central. Uh, Lotso with this text: Otani and Pedersen have the same agent. Were they on Zoom? <laughs> Where were they on Zoom? Um, another text. What would we need to get for Elias Patterson? The uh, <laughs> I think it's it really just comes down to Patterson saying, "All right, just get it done." Uh, that's yeah. that's kind of he's going to call his agent, and the agent's going to be like, "Okay." And then he'll call Patrick Alvin and be like, "Okay, we're ready." And that probably won't take. And too then long. they'll start to hammer it out. Yeah. Uh, with Shohei Otani, though, he's doing the. Uh, Going through, checking out the different practice facilities, getting wined and dined, hanging out with Ross Atkins, making sure everybody's being secret about it. Man, the story today is just like unreal the way that it's unraveling. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I'm really intrigued by it, but it's also really funny because there's literally no information. Yes. And even the reports are kind of like, it's believed to be, it's not even like good reporting and people aren't, aren't even like citing sources yes. or anything. <laughs> and the biggest leak that happened was Dave Roberts saying, he's our number one priority. Yes. The manager of the LA Dodgers. And what else did he and say? And then the Dodgers GM is like, yeah, we'd prefer not to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I understand Dave talked about it earlier, but we're not going to say anything. Because Otani doesn't want this any of it coming out, <laughs> it's great. The secrecy of it all is is incredible. It's uh, it's Marion Gabrick bought a house in Vancouver times a million. That's yes. what it is. Somebody bought a barbecue somewhere, and they thought for <laughs> sure he's signing in Vancouver. But I mean, it's, it's just it's just funny. People being like, well, because the Blue Jays met with him, yes, and because you, you know uh, Ross Atkins had an air of confidence about him, yes, it means it's a foregone conclusion, yes. And others being like, well, the Blue Jays, the reason they're being used is because of um, they want them to be used as leverage, and it's all about driving the money, the price up. Because really, you know, the, the Braves have a real chance of signing him. They really don't. So it's like you know, the the, the mental gymnastics have been pretty funny. It's uh, it hasn't got old yet, although. 
I'm ready to get hurt again, yeah, as, yeah. Uh, as I've said a thousand times. The on Jays are, are better than the Canucks at finishing second. Uh, no, there hasn't been any more uh, circumstantial reporting from Sports Illustrated on this. <laughs> are we sure it wasn't chat GPT? Still figuring that one out. Circumstantial evidence suggests yes. <laughs> Stan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We'll check in on what's happening with the NHL Board of Governor meetings in Seattle. Eric Engels is there for Sportsnet. He'll join us next on Canuck Central. Canucks Central in the Kintech studio. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw with you. This hour of Canucks Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Let's bring in our next guest, Eric Engels. Eric Engels, a senior columnist for Sportsnet, is at the Board of Governor meetings in Seattle. Uh, thanks for this, Eric. Uh, I, I have to ask, are you enjoying the uh, your first is this I, I imagine it's your first atmospheric river in the Pacific Northwest? <laughs> uh, that, that's just uh, a fancy term for the uh, heavy amount of rain we've received here uh, in the Pacific Northwest the last couple of days. Yeah, I'm not particularly enjoying that aspect of it. I can see this being a nice town, um, but I haven't been able to see through the haze since I've been here and mostly been working. So no big deal. Yeah, it's uh, it's usually uh, usually the way that it goes. But uh, it's been uh, it's been interesting to, to see the little bits of news coming out. I think uh, what's gotten the most attention, at least today, is uh, once again, pessimism from the leaders of the National Hockey League on Olympic participation. Yeah, listen, I don't really, that wasn't my take on it. And I, I, don't, I don't really read it that way. Right. Even standing a few feet from Gary Batman and listening to him express whatever concerns he did about uh, the arena in Milan uh, and its construction slated to be completed roughly six to eight weeks before uh, hosting the Olympic tournament. Like hockey's still on the schedule and it's going to be there whether the NHL goes or not. And my belief is the NHL will be there. It's part of the CBA. Um, it was agreed upon naturally contingent on agreements made with the IOC and the IIHF. Pandemic got in the way last time around. They were supposed to go to Beijing. I think everybody understood that considering how many stoppages and breaks there were in the schedule. Um, that was unforeseen and out of the NHL's control. I think the NHL has a very, and the Board of Governors and the owners have a very strong sense of how badly the players uh, want to be there and also what the appetite is from the fans to see them there. Um, and I understand it's, you know, you're halting business for a few weeks in the middle of your season. Uh, you don't get the additional revenue that might come from highlights from the Olympics running through NHL streams and NHL logos being on jerseys and all that stuff. But there are other ways to supplement that income with other international competitions that appear to be part of the plans moving forward. And until something catastrophic or unforeseen potentially happens here, my expectation is that NHLers will be participating in Italy in 2026. And as far as what you mentioned, doing some other uh, in-season tournaments, like I, I do think if they are able to establish a tournament more consistently, it can start building towards it being something that people look forward to and, and hold at a high esteem. Maybe not quite at the Olympic level, but I think being able to par create something that's consistent goes a long way in people uh, respecting and taking it more seriously. 
Yeah, listen, I mean, there's also this is this pretty considerable business mm-hmm. uh, implications there, right? Like you're talking about uh, an NHL run event and uh, a World Cup of hockey. Obviously, the next iteration of it is going to be modified to only include four nations because of the geopolitical um, issues we're seeing, you know, particularly out of Russia. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense in terms of growing the game, which is an essential responsibility of the National Hockey League if they if they hope to secure their own future. Uh, there's a lot of incentive there, too. Uh, it hasn't happened in too long, with the last one being in 2016. Uh, I think you look at the success of that event, uh, there's got to be a pretty major appetite to see it uh, happen again. And with full participation, hopefully a different landscape when we get to 2028. Uh, but as far as 2025 is concerned and uh, potential tournament between Canada, the United States, Finland, and Sweden, we wouldn't be looking at a major interruption in season in, in February. And yeah, it's not everybody, but I don't know about you guys. I'd be pretty excited to see Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid and Connor Bedard, uh, dressing in the same uniform, potentially playing on a line together. And I think that that's one way to grow the game too. Well, yeah, I think uh, the, the biggest thing would be getting a, a, a marquee Canada-U.S. game, right? Uh, especially with the, the way the U.S. team is, uh, has come along and the amount of talent that they could put together. It, uh, now would be that prime opportunity. It's the one thing hockey's missed compared to uh, baseball, basketball over the last couple of years. Um, I know it, it's come up quite a bit, uh, but uh, the, <laughs> the ongoing story of the Arizona Coyotes' future, it's uh, been around for 15 years or however many years we've been following this story uh does it feel like this is uh finally coming to a head here on whether or not the coyotes are going to have to uh figure out their future whether it's in arizona or somewhere else oh yeah it's definitely coming to a head and we're looking at probably somewhere between a month to two months where something needs to get figured out and this could be the last straw in this whole dossier if they're not able to figure it out in arizona and uh, look you know it's funny for people who took uh, kind of a pessimistic slant on what was said about the Olympics today. I, I kind of saw it the other way. Um, you know, I heard Gary Bettman, Bill Daly express some optimism or at least uh, confirm that they're feeling that the Arizona people and the, the people running the Coyotes are optimistic about getting a land deal and, and potentially breaking ground on a new arena near Phoenix or in Phoenix. Uh, I'm, I will be pessimistic until that actually happens because, I mean, we've heard that whole song and dance before and we know where it's gone. Um, Everybody seemed to think the Tempe vote was going to be a slam dunk in favor of the Coyotes, $2.1 billion project they had planned for there. It didn't happen. The situation, I I can tell you, having gone to Mullet Arena, if you're a fan watching a game there, it is a fantastic experience to get that close to NHL hockey. Uh, and I mean, like, literally up close to it because there's no bad seat in the house if you're to watch a game there. If you're a player uh, in an arena that houses roughly 5,000 fans and is often filled with only about 3,500, it's an embarrassment. It's it's a joke of a situation that needs to be resolved. And uh, it's not a good look for the NHLPA, and Marty Walsh said as much, uh, the director, and it's not a good feel for players who have dreamed of always being in the NHL and expect to be playing and treated like NHL players in an NHL facility. And, 
you know, outside of that, the, the business ramifications are quite evident. The Coyotes, you know, no matter where they go in Arizona, are likely to be the 32nd out of 32 teams in terms of valuation and financial impact on the league. Um, and I promise you that there's a number of governors who were in the, that room over the last couple of days and owners of NHL teams that look at them and say, this is our like ugly kid sister not doing their part for the growth mm-hmm. of our league. So, you know, Bettman said they're going to be at Mullet Arena last, next, next year because that's the only place they could play in Arizona. Yeah. Um, but I think the urgency to get an answer on where they're going to end up long term might determine whether or not they're going to be in Arizona next year or the year after that. Uh, and I honestly think the potential windfall economically uh, of relocation would naturally be bigger than it ever was before. Like if you look at Atlanta, and I'm I'm not a fan of moving a franchise away from fans, guys. Like yeah. I, I know what it feels like in Montreal to have lost the Expos, but at the end of the day, this is business, and the business is not proven to be completely viable in Arizona so far. Last time a franchise moved was from Atlanta to Winnipeg. Um, it paid $110 million, True North did, for the franchise and a $60 million relocation fee to the league. I think those numbers would be exponentially higher this time around if they mm-hmm. were to move anywhere out of the proposed cities we're considering uh, for expansion or relocation. So I, I, whoever's optimistic about it outside of Arizona, I don't know. I'd love to meet them. Yeah. But for me personally, until I hear something otherwise – I'm going to continue to be pessimistic about it. Well, and the other thing that I just kind of wonder about too is maybe if they this has to be the final straw. If it, this doesn't go through, you move the team and then you put a pin in, in Arizona and say, well, maybe when they get their act together on a stadium in a few years, then they'll bring the team back. Because I, I think they they value the market just like how they value Atlanta. <laughs> like it's just one of those things where maybe they're just better suited to let this one go and then and then circle back in like five or six years. I think no matter how you feel about Gary Batman, this is like one blemish on a rather spotless record in terms of what he's been able to achieve in the league, in terms of expansion and um, the entire Sunbelt project that they've gone about. And even the Coyotes themselves, the hockey team, and what they're achieving right now on the ice is something to be lauded considering they're somewhat of a budget team and they're young and on the rise. And But, you know, what you just suggested is kind of akin to the the fan base of a team that has a free agent to be saying, okay, maybe we'll trade him and then sign him as a free agent when he, because he wants to come be here and come. And it like almost never happens. Right. Like I, I, I understand it because look, there's one thing that's been made clear throughout this entire fiasco with the coyotes over the last few years, Gary Bettman seems incredibly committed to the market. Um, to the point where he's suggested things are great there when they've been anything but that. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know where this whole thing goes. I do know that his desire to see some sort of predictability in their future is not just tied to making the schedule. Um, At a certain point, it becomes hard for all the owners and for the Board of Governors and anybody else and for Gary Bettman to continue to prop Arizona up as a viable market when the opportunity cost is hundreds of millions of dollars in selling and relocating 
the team in a place where it could be viable and thrive significantly more. If we're talking about markets like Houston, which is one of the biggest cities in the States, Atlanta, um, where obviously things have not gone perfectly in the past of the NHL, but is still a massive market to be tapped into. Salt Lake City, where winter sports are quite popular. Um, and even Quebec City, if you were to expand to those other markets I was just talking about, perhaps the most viable market from a relocation standpoint, or perhaps the only way Quebec City ever happens again, is via relocation. And it would be interesting with, with Arizona specifically because they're on the rise. And I think if you're to go back to Quebec, you need it to kind of be successful off the hop for it to succeed. You know, it, it might just be too much to turn away from if this latest project that the Arizona Coyotes appear to be optimistic about turns out to be another failure. Uh, Eric Engel's our guest. Uh, the other uh, big bit of news, the NHL draft to take place at the Sphere. It'll be uh, what we ex- well the, the last traditional version of the draft before they go to the decentralized version, like the way the NBA and, and NFL does it. I think this is... It, it's kind of like the NHL being the first to expand into Vegas with a with a team. It's it feels like it could be a huge selling point uh, to a casual sports fan to have this event at the Sphere. It's you know essentially your 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 best advertising that you could do for the NHL draft. I feel like. Yeah, I think it's the best advertising you could do for the Sphere. Also, I mean. <laughs> yeah, it, it works both ways, doesn't it? Does something like this? Who knows what what the next one will plan to do there? I mean. It's a very cool venue. Um, I could say personally, you know, enjoying Vegas and the very idea of being in a room for that would be really cool. I don't know how much I'd want to be working during that time, but <laughs> that is my job. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if this is the last time you see teams attend the draft, which I personally think is a shame, but I do understand in terms of what the concerns are that, that were advanced by the teams and that they just – they feel it's easier to get their business done staying home. Um, yeah, why not blow it out in Vegas? So, you know, Gary Bennett did have one funny line about that, saying, you know, even if we decided to decentralize it, considering where it's going to be and what it's going to be about, everyone would probably show up anyway. So <laughs> it's um, it's unique and it's new. Um, yeah. And it is good buzz and good marketing for the league, I think, for sure, in yeah. terms of what they'll be able to do with that. Especially, like, they just had a major presentation yesterday um, on AI and, and content generation and the capabilities and, and how they can grow the business that way. And I'm just thinking about it's so abstract to a lot of people, and, and I'm not going to be able to specifically explain it here in a couple minutes with you guys, but just some of the possibilities of what they can do in terms of content generation to blow up that event and make it something that we've never really seen before um, is good for all parties involved. I will say this though, it is going to cost a lot of money for the NHL to put on this event here. So they're, they're clearly hoping that there's some sort of return on investment uh, beyond just branding. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure uh, the event is going to be sold out as well. And I think that'll bring some money in. But you're right. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they can leverage that. Uh, the other thing, obviously, that happened at the BOG was them setting the salary cap at uh, $87.67 million, like Elliot kind of mentioned, uh, uh, for the upcoming season. 
how positive is that given that there was a big concern last year, especially with the Bali sports t- regional TV deals uh, kind of coming to a head? We haven't heard too much about that, but it seems like some of those pitfall concerns they had aren't really going to cost them this year, does it? Yeah, I mean, listen, this was written into the, the memorandum of understanding that they came up with with the players, so long as their debt from the pandemic was paid off by X date, um, that the cap the following season would go up by 5%. It's at $83.5 million, so you have a $4.2 million increase. How excited is everybody about that? You know, I, I would, I'd suggest relieved is probably a more appropriate word because it's it's – you know, it, it, it helps the system. It'll help more if the NHLPA is able to negotiate an even higher increase in the salary cap based on what's projected to be $6.2 billion worth of revenue for the NHL and what's supposed to be a 50-50 split in, in the shares, right? Like, they have decided to go conservatively with that 5% increase based on you know, where the business is at, but where it was specifically at coming out of the pandemic and ensuring that they can have year-over-year growth um, of the salary cap and and going from incremental growth to exponential growth. Um, So I think, you know, I think the players would certainly like to see something more exponential right away. Uh, I think the owners, especially of teams that are going into their competitive windows, I think about the one that I cover in Montreal the one that you guys are close to in Vancouver. Um, You know, this salary cap has been suffocating, particularly this year, a third year since the pandemic, uh, where things were relatively locked up. And just the noose coming a little bit looser is, is relieving much more so than it is, you know, a major point of excitement let's see where it goes a year, two, three down the line here, or if even by this summer, that number ends up being a bit more than we thought it would even be. Uh, last one before we uh, we let you go here, Eric, uh, but uh, Sean Monaghan scored a couple of goals in the, the Habs uh, 4-2 win over Seattle last night. Uh, a lot of our listeners are already making uh, their uh, armchair GM deadline plans for the uh, Vancouver Canucks and wondering you know, if Sean Monaghan could be an option. Uh, I, I would expect the way that he's played, eight goals so far this year, has fit in really well there with, with Montreal. Um, I, I would expect he's, he's going to have quite a few suitors uh, when it comes to the, the trade deadline if the Habs do end up being sellers. Yeah, he had, he had a bit of a dip. Um, I don't think we have to be concerned about whether or not that has, will be sellers. I That's understand fair. they're close <laughs> to the playoff victor right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's up and down, and it's tough situation losing Kirby Dock right off the start, even though they want to be more competitive this year. They're going to try to win as many games as they possibly can, uh, but they understand that they're still, you know, they're a little bit past the infancy stage of this rebuild, and they're hoping to really, you know, put their pedal down uh, a year or two down the line. Sean Monaghan should be garnering a lot of interest around the league. And he hits his next game, he'll trigger a $15,000 bonus for having played one more than he did last season, in which he had 17 points over 25 games. Big concern coming off, you know, groin surgery, uh, following two straight years of hip surgery and all the other injuries that Sean suffered was whether or not he could come back with Montreal at the same level he was at last year before he got hurt. I think he's absolutely outside of, you know, seven, eight games in the middle here where he got burnt a little, but also just wasn't working with the line mates that he was put with. He's been 
fantastic. You know, so <laughs> I think there will be considerable interest in the player. I think as the trade market starts to open up a bit more, there could be a willingness for Montreal to move early. I think there's a lot of people in Montreal who will make the argument because of his value to the team, because they could see the future of Suzuki and Kirby Doc and the love the idea of Sean Monaghan on a mid-range kind of deal coming back as a third-line center and cementing that picture. Um, but hey, like <laughs> maybe it's ironic of me to suggest that there could be some sort of ideal scenario where the Canadians trade him and sign him as an unrestricted free agent thereafter, after what I said about the whole Arizona situation. Um, but honestly, I don't see how they could turn away from the potential of a trade, knowing what kind of value he might hold on the market, which could be more than a first round pick. Yeah. Already got one first round pick for him from, uh, from Calgary he came along with the deal and, uh, could uh, be another little bit of a nice asset on the way for Montreal. Uh, Eric, really appreciate your time and your insights. Thanks for this. My pleasure, guys. Take care. Uh, there is Eric Engels joining us here on, uh, on Canuck Central. Know that, uh, Question came in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, so I figured yeah. I'd ask it about Sean Monahan. Yeah, I mean, he's somebody people I've been asking about too in Vancouver. I just don't, you know, the first round pick for a rental. Yeah, you know, and not ideal. I, I I don't know if he'll end up getting a first round pick, but get something of value. He's at least uh, he's at least playing better. Yeah, Montreal is interesting. I mean, they have Suzuki and Cole, Cole Caulfield, but Slavkovsky obviously he his game hasn't really come around yet, and they're still trying to build out that defense that has some nice players. They're still very much a work in progress. Montreal yeah. Canadiens uh, on um, you know the discussion about uh, Olympics yeah. and the tournament and all that. Um, I I just don't know if I like an in-season tournament that is just Sweden, Canada, Finland, and the U.S. Yeah. That's my only thing with that. It's like, number one, it's great, but it's in-season. So that means teams that have players from those four countries are going to be at more of a disadvantage Yeah, because of how many players are playing at the tournament. Um, I don't think I it imagine. allows anybody to participate, which I don't think is great. Yeah. Like I think the Czechs have talented players. Russia, obviously, we know how Germany. sensitive that is. Germany too. Switzerland's getting better. Slovakia, and we know they're not necessarily those. A lot of those teams don't necessarily have a chance to win the tournament. But still, it's like to me, the well, you can't tournament, call it a World Cup. No, and and to me, like the, the tournament should be a celebration of how much hockey has grown and these countries, you know, being able to hold their own and perhaps knock on the door a little bit. And when they're not involved, I just don't like it. And I'm all for World Cup type of tournaments. I just don't like the idea that it's only going to be four teams, four yeah. countries. I mean, uh, I would be silly to say that I wouldn't watch it. Of course, I would watch if uh, Canada and the, and the U.S. were to play against each other in a best-on-best -best type of game. But it would it would feel like some form of glorified All-Star tournament, right? Because I would imagine it would take over the All-Star break that year, right? You just blow out the All-Star break, make it a part of the bye week for the teams yeah. across the league and use that quieter time to maximize this event or use this event as something to help grow the game. And I get it, but it would have a similar feel to the last world cup of hockey because look, if it's not legit, if you have gimmicky teams, if you don't have everybody involved, it's not a world cup. And to just have automatic qualification for these four teams. And that's just how it's going to be. I mean, just call it what it is, uh, like a glorified all-star tournament that you're setting up in order to build more revenues. And that's 
really what the league is doing. Their idea is something is better than nothing, but the bottom line still is you've got to find a way to get back to best on best tournaments and legitimate ones because what we've had so far in hockey just isn't enough. No, and I mean, you've taken this big of a gap between the last ones and the one you're going to do is going to be half-assed. Just wait and get it right. Yeah. That's how I view it. And as far as Gary Bettman with Olympic participation, I do somewhat agree with uh, Eric Engels, like... Okay, Gary, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure they'll figure out how to build the, the, the stadium in Milan before uh, before the Olympics that they've already committed to, you know, it's uh, but what if they seems don't. Like a bit of a stretch. Yeah, but what if they don't? I mean, it does show pretty poor planning that they haven't broken. I mean, it's not like that simple to put a stadium together. Bro, we're Italian. Just get a couple <laughs> of spros in them and they'll, they'll figure it out, you know. All right, Godspeed. <laughs> um, it's also like... Yeah, why don't you figure out something with Arizona already, Gary, and uh, then then complain about other people's arenas. <laughs> and then complain about other people's arenas. <laughs> I can't believe how long it's been that we've hadn't had a resolution on the Arizona Coyotes. I and honestly, you know how I feel about it? I hope they figure out a way to stay. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. Because honestly, like, if you have to look at the growth of the game, it's important to be in the biggest markets, right? Yes. Phoenix is one of the bigger markets. Phoenix would be one. And it's growing and it's getting bigger. And I mean, it's not like there's no proof of concept there. They have more kids playing hockey there than ever. They actually have good players graduating to a national hockey league. One, one of the, the best, best players, players in the league. league in Austin Matthews. Like there has been real success from a grounds from a from a grassroots level there. And I think it's good to build on that. It's just is are you better off actually trying to deal with it now with this team or just cutting it? And revisiting it in a few yeah. years, coming back to it, like I think that's a solution you can have. But it's just like I, I know people want a resolution. People love moves, and they want you know Canada to get another team. But Quebec's not getting a team. Let's be real. The only city in Canada that's getting a team is maybe Toronto if they allow another team to come in. That's yeah. it. I mean, I, I mean, even Winnipeg is Winnipeg going to last in the next two decades? So my the the beat that I've heard on who would be most likely to get a relocated team should Arizona end up relocating, not Houston, not Salt Lake, it would be Kansas City. Yeah, because I mean that's not an expansion city. It, I don't think it would. They would consider it an expansion city. They have the arena ready to go. Have had it ready to go for a while, and that would. At least from what I've heard, a little bit of whispers, that would be the team that is most likely to get a relocated Arizona Coyotes team. So then then you're looking at Houston, Atlanta, and then if Phoenix leaves down the road, Phoenix again. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of like MLS. Like MLS had Chivas USA. <laughs> <laughs> for anybody that might remember that, most of you probably don't. It was an awful team, awful name, awful branding. Everything was bad about it, and it didn't work. And they were like, all right, we just got to like cut this team. We obviously want to be in Los yeah. Angeles and have multiple teams in Los Angeles, but this isn't working. So they axed them. A bunch of years later, they have LAFC, all these yeah. fancy celebrity owners, new stadium, cool look, cool vibes, Everybody's bought in, and you have added back now a prominent franchise into your league rather than a team that had be, been the laughingstock yeah. with bad ownership. That's what essentially is what's happening with the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, all right, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah, you are listening to Canuck Central.